What's up, the point? Well, uh, man, I'm so, I'm so pumped about tonight, and I'm so pumped about this Faith Work series. I'm just telling you, man, Austin just threw those announcements out to you. And as a part of this Faith Work series, that we want to put our faith in action as the kind of key verse of this entire series in James chapter 2, verses 26. And so part of putting our faith in action is that March 2nd, the serve day. And you saw that on the screen. We want to challenge you to sign up for that. We want to see hundreds of students serving all over the community of uh, Gwinnett County. And so make sure you get signed up for that. You'll be going uh, by your... Uh, uh, your home groups and by uh, your connection groups, you'll be going out and serving uh, along with those people, and it's going to be an awesome, awesome time. We're pumped about that. And then he also mentioned Senior Sneak, which let me just say, Senior Sneak is going to be the most sick, nasty Senior Sneak that has ever happened in all the history of historydom in this place. I'm just telling you, it's going to be ridiculous. It is going to be ridiculous. It is the first time we've actually done Senior Sneak over two nights. The reason we call it Senior Sneak is because we don't want you to know where we're going, but all I'm going to say is that you might be packing a bathing suit. That's all I'm going to say. I ain't saying anything else because you ain't supposed to know where else we're going. But anyway, so you want to get there. You want to make sure you go to that. So as we get started tonight uh, and we get into our topic of conversation, um, I need uh, uh, to kind of illustrate where we're going. I need uh, a few a few volunteers. Let me get a few volunteers. Let me let me jump on down here. Let me jump on down here. Let me, uh, let me head back here to the back a little bit. How about you right here? Come on up to the front. <laughs> Cade, how about you up there? Let me... <coughs> Let me get you right here. Come on up there to the front. Let me get somebody on this side over here. How about somebody on this side over here? Let me get ready. Let me get. Hey, you right here. All right, you right here. All right, here we go. All right, if you guys could just jump on up on stage. Get on up on stage. All right, all right. Now, this is what I need you guys to do. I need, uh, uh, I need all five of you to get together, and I need you... Uh, I need you to decide the order. I need you to decide the order. We're going to line up. Uh, first person is going to be here, then the second person, third person, fourth person, fifth person, last person here. So first person here, last person here. You guys get together, decide the order, line up right here, first to last. Here we go. Get her done fast. We don't have a lot of time tonight. All right. <laughs> This is the order that you guys chose. I didn't choose this order. Now, say we got we got the first spot down here, right? We got first, second, third, fourth, and then we we got last down here. Now, uh, to get started with tonight, this is what we're gonna do. Uh, uh, if I get my wallet out, <laughs> um, I got a little cash money, a little cash, 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 cash money in the house. Deanna, hold your seat, girl. And uh, and so you know, in the Bible it says those will be first, will be last. And so uh, so you get a dollar. And, uh, and, uh, and you get five dollars, all right, and then you get ten dollars, oh, and you get twenty, oh, and you get fifty. Now, hold on a second. It pays to be last. Now, now, um, now I just gave you guys some money across the board here, and, and, and I want to, and this is kind of going to go into our conversation for tonight, so, so, um, let me ask you guys a question. What, uh, what did you guys have to do to get that money? You nothing, right? You just just come up here, just just get on the stage, do nothing, get that money. I just put it in your hand, all right? But, but, you got to be a little disappointed, right? I mean, it's fifty down there. You the dollar down here. You say you're fine. What? Why are you fine? I have money at home. I have money at home. I have money at home. I got more money than you, so I don't really care about my dollar. <laughs> I want to illustrate something for you real quick and as, as we kind of go in this conversation because we're going to talk a little bit about money tonight. And what you need to know about money is this, is that God owns it all. 
See, a lot of times in our churches, we're like, oh, you know, God gets the, the 10%. God gets, you know, the tithe, and that's God's money, and then you get to live on the 90. No, 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 no. God owns it all. God owns the 100% of our money. So, yeah, we give to the church, or we tithe, or we do these things, but still the 90 that we have, God still owns that as well. In fact, every single person steps into this world without owning anything. We don't have any possessions. We're just a little baby, and, and then when we die and we go out of this world, we can't take anything with us. And so when we come into this earth, we have nothing, and anything that we have is something that God chooses to give us. Now, the reality is, is that God chooses sometimes to give people one dollar and sometimes five and sometimes ten and sometimes twenty and sometimes fifty. Now what we can have a tendency to do is, is that when we're holding the dollar down here on the end, we can look down here and be like, man, I got the shaft. How come this person got more money than I did? How come God chose to give that person more resources and more finances and more things than, than he chose to give me? And so then down here, we can get a little discouraged about that, but here's the reality. The reality is, is that she still has more money than you. I gave her more money than I gave you. And the reality is, is that the world that we live in, two-thirds of the world that we live in, two billion people, over two billion people live on less than a dollar a day. Less than a dollar a day. The average high school teenager spends $102 a week on themselves. The average. The average high school student spends $102 a week. Did I say a day? A week. <laughs> All right, back down here on the end. 50. This would be the wealthy. This would be the highest percentile. To own a car puts you in the 99th percentile of the world's wealth. So if your family owns a car, you are considered among the top 98 to 99 percentile of the people in the world as far as wealth goes. So the reality is most of us are here. But even in that, we still look ahead and we say, man, I, I, want, I want what this person has. I want what that person has. I, I want more. I want more. I want more. I want more. Thank you guys for participating. Y'all give them a hand. Y'all can have a seat. Oh, I forgot to get the money back. I'm just kidding. So listen. Shh. God owns it all. So if God owns it all, what that means is, is that every spending decision is a spiritual decision. If God owns it all, then every spending decision is a spiritual decision. That means that when we go to make big purchases, when we go to make financial decisions in our life, that we should be bringing those things before God because at the end of the day, it's not our money to begin with, it's His. And what happens in our culture and what happens in our economy is, is that we want to do the things that we have to do in order to have the biggest paycheck. And so when we talk about taxes, we're like, well, I don't want taxes. We talk about this. We talk about it. And we say, you know, hey, I want, I want everything to end so that my wallet has the most amount of money in it. No matter how things are divided up. And what happens is, is that you, I'm telling you right now, you want to make somebody mad, you take their money. I'll never forget when I was in middle school and I was selling some candy bars for a fundraiser and Jonathan Blue, a kid in my, in my, uh, in my uh, PE class when I was dressed out at the gym, went in and he stole, he stole like $25 of candy bar money that I've been selling and now I was going to have to pay it out of my pocket. I was ticked and we were about to throw down. You don't touch my money. 
I was watching a TV show with my wife the other day, and this lady, she was like, she, she was just, she got all in a tissy about something. Yeah, she's trying to take, she's trying to take money out of my pocket. And you know what I mean? I, shoot, I wear $1,000 shoes. Shoes don't touch my feet unless they're $1,000. I ain't wearing no shoes that ain't under $1,000. Who am I? I ain't, I ain't a cheap person. Are you kidding me? $1,000 shoes? Do you think that that is what God would be honored by you spending your money on? See, I think that we get wrapped up in this culture about, you know, more money and more things. And so we listen to music and it's like, you know, got a little bit of money, you know, I pay my bill. And, uh, you know, and, and, and it's all about money and it's all about more. And so we watch shows like MTV Cribs or Million Dollar Rooms and, and we dream of winning the lottery one day and all the things that we would buy. And, and so we, we're always looking at more. We're always, we want the best. We want the, the best iPhone and we want the, the best clothes. We want the best purse and we want the, the best shoes and we want the best car and we want the best house. And our lives become so wrapped up around this this idea of finances. And, and I want us to get to James chapter 1 because he hits this issue pretty hard, pretty head on. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up. And as James is toward the end of your, uh, of your Bible. It is right after Hebrews. <laughs> and we're going to be in James chapter 1. And what you notice what he says, we're going to go to verse 9. We're going to read 9 through 11. He says this. He starts out... <laughs> In verse 9, I'm going to read this. You know, I'll read the whole thing. And I'll, well, you know, I'll just, start, I'll just read verse 9 and we'll go there. He says, the brothers, or, or some translation said, the believers, the believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high positions. Listen, you got to hear this. Listen. The believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high positions. Listen to what he's saying. What he's saying here is, is that if you're a believer, if you call yourself a Christian and you have humble circumstances, in other words, if you don't have uh, financial wealth, you don't have the things that the world looks at as, as, as kind of big deals, if you don't have that kind of stuff, you need, you need to praise God for the high position that you have. When we look at ourselves and we see ourselves in humble circumstances, the last thing we think is, oh man, I'm a person in high position. But to God, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are in the highest position that you could ever possibly imagine being in. You've been placed in the kingdom of God as a child of God. See, here's the reality. The reality is, is that ever since sin entered the world, we now live under the kingdom of the world. It is a, it is a sin-filtered uh, 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 in infiltrated world and what that means is is that that everything that we deal with every aspect of our life has been tainted by sin our culture our everything and so our world has a culture about it and then the bible also talks about the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of god and everything that is under the kingdom of heaven is literally in reverse on how things operate in the world. Let me, give you an, let me give you an example. In the kingdom of the world, it is all about success. It is all about power. It is all about money. It is all about greed. It is all about notoriety. In the kingdom of heaven, it is all about humility. It is all about meekness, which means strength that is focused or bridled. It is all about decrease. It is all about serving it is all about making yourself less so that God can be more. 
See, in the kingdom of the world, things are reversed. In the kingdom of heaven, the way God designed them to be, it was so that, and this is what John the Baptist says when he's under the kingdom of, reign of the kingdom of heaven in John 3.30, he says, he must increase and I must decrease. Jesus says, if you want to be first, you must be last, you must be a slave to all. This is the reason Jesus' teaching was so crazy to the day of the people that he spoke to because it was so countercultural to what they believed. And Jesus' teachings are so countercultural to what our culture teaches. That's the reason in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Do not be conformed any longer by the pattern of this world. Do not be conformed any longer by, by the patterns, by the culture of the kingdom of this world, but be transformed. There's a transformation, there's a change by the renewing of your mind. Things are different under the kingdom of heaven, under the rule and reign of God. And as a believer, we are placed under the kingdom of heaven. We are placed under the rule and reign of God. Let me, let me just stop here and say this. This is why. This is why the Bible says that the message of Christ is foolishness to those who go on without believing. See, some of you may hear and you're like, man, I don't know why these people raise their hands singing the songs. Like, I, I mean, this is kind of corny. This is kind of stupid. Like, you know, I'm just here to check out the girls or, or whatever. Like, this is only, that's the only reason I came here tonight. And you're like, man, this is kind of stupid. This is kind of foolishness. No, 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 no. The Bible talks about you. And the Bible says the message is foolishness to those that go on without believing. You don't understand the kingdom of heaven because all you understand is the world that you live in, the kingdom of this world. And until you have an encounter with the grace of Jesus Christ, until he's rescued you and changed your life, you will never understand what the kingdom of heaven is like or what that can offer you. It's completely different. That's the reason the Bible says the God of this age is blind to the minds of non-believers. Satan is blind to them. They cannot see how things operate under the kingdom of heaven. So for the believer, it's different. We act in humility. We act in service. We act in compassion. We act in love. Then he goes on. This is important. He goes on and he says, in verse 10, But the one who is rich, listen, should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes on about his business. The rich man will fade away even while he goes on about his business. Let me tell you something, man. That is, some, that is some harsh words that James is saying here. That is some harsh words that he's saying. I, I mean, how, what, what, what is he saying here? I mean, is he saying that, like, that like, like rich people, like God doesn't love rich people? No, no, no. He's not saying that. It's not what he's saying at all. I think what he's saying is, is that the problem is that we are such in the pursuit of rich Instead of in the pursuit of God. We're more in pursuit of rich than we are in the pursuit of God. And I think what we need to do is we need to, we need to right size our view of money. We need to understand that God owns it all. We need to understand that, uh, that, that money is not the solve all. That God is. That, that money isn't the answer to my problems. And see, I know what some of you are saying. You're saying, listen, Derek, I don't relate to what you're talking about. I mean, we have plenty of money in my family, and money's not an issue, and this economy really hasn't affected us this much. Let me, let me, let me just back up and say this. You can tell how much money would have an effect on you based on how you would respond if you lost it. 
I mean, if your parents came home tomorrow and said, I lost, we lost our job, we have to sell the house, we have to move into an apartment down the street, and you're going to have to ride the bus to school. I know, that's scary. <laughs> We're going to have to get rid of your iPhone. I mean, how would you respond in that situation? I mean, for most of us, and for most of us, when those situations happen, I mean, we're devastated by those things. In fact, the proof that, rich, that money doesn't solve all is Hollywood. The people that had the most money, some of the wealthiest people on the planet, lead our nation in suicide, lead our nation in drug abuse, lead our nation in infidelity, and lead our nation in divorce. Money's not to solve all. And what happens is, is that we have to get a right view of money because if we don't, this is going to follow us for the rest of our lives. And let me tell you something, Jesus talked a lot about money. In fact, Jesus talked more about money than he did any other subject except for the kingdom of heaven. What we talked about earlier. Jesus talked more about money than he did anything else except for the kingdom of heaven. He talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that money is such a big deal to God? I think 1 Timothy defines it for us. When for, in 1 Timothy, in Paul's letter to Timothy, he says this. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now notice, he doesn't say for money is the root of all kinds of evil. He says for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is not evil, but the love of money, the pursuit of it, the heart, uh, the direction of the heart in concerned when, when it comes in concern with money is the root of all kinds of evil. In other words, there are people who get themselves in financial situations and they begin to do things in order to get more money or to pull themselves out, even if it means to compromise morally or to compromise on their lives biblically. Like, for example, I've counseled with people in my office before that have come in and just needed to talk with a pastor. A girl who's in college, who made some poor financial decisions, ran up a credit card, and is now working in a strip club in order to pay it off. Taking her clothes off for money so that she can pay off her credit card bill. So that she can put herself through college. I mean, there's people that do crazy things for money. I remember when I was a little kid, I, would, I, I, remember, I can't believe I'm telling you all this story. <laughs> this one's for free. I remember when I was a little kid, I told my brother, I said, I will do anything. I'll do anything for money. And my brother said, anything? And I said, yeah. He says, I'll give you a penny if you go lick that dog poop. And I did it. Can't wait to kiss my wife tonight. I was like five. I think that there's two major areas. I think there's two major areas that money affects. The first major area it affects is our devotion to God. Our money affects our devotion to God. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break and steal. Listen, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
See, I think Jesus is concerned about the way we look at money and how we spend our money because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. This, this area affects our devotion to God, our commitment to God. In fact, it's been said, if you want to know what somebody really cares about the most, go look at their bank account and see what they spend the most money on. If you say that you love Jesus more than anything else in the world, but if I was to go look at your bank account and all you're doing all the time is buying, uh, is buying baseball stuff or soccer stuff or cheerleading stuff, then do you really think that Jesus is the most important thing in your life? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can look at your family in the same way it goes with your family. Where does your family spend their money? What are the things that are most important? Listen, I don't even think treasure just, just is concerned with financial things, but I also think that it can be other things. I think there are other things that you can treasure. For some of us, we treasure our girlfriend more than we treasure God. You say, no, I don't. You think that you love God more than you do your girlfriend, yet you haven't spent one minute in God's word with him this entire week, but you spent hours talking to her on the phone every night, and you say that you love God more than you love her? Baloney. Faith works. Faith works. There's got to be action to your faith. If you say something with your lips, but it doesn't line up with your life, then it ain't true. Jesus even addresses it, and he says it this way. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will love the one and hate the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. The second thing I think is important, and the second cancer I think to, and the reason that Jesus brings us up is that it, not just, it doesn't just impede on our devotion to God, but it also on our dependency on God. Our dependency on God. I mean, there's some harsh, this is a harsh scripture here in James. I mean, he's, he's just laying it out for the rich. In fact, Jesus says this. He says, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. A camel, the animal, you know what I'm saying? The thing with the big hump on his back. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle like that you thread stuff with. It is easier for a camel to pass through that than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. What in the world, Jesus, are you talking about? I've heard some people say, well, you don't understand the context of this passage is that the eye of the needle was this cave in a wall that the camels would pass through. No, it's not. The context of this passage is the eye of a stinking needle. That's the reason, that's the reason uh, you, know, uh, you know, I think that when Jesus is talking to the rich man and he says to the rich man, and the rich man comes to Jesus, he says, hey, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, have you obeyed all the commands? He says, all the commands I have obeyed. And he says, go sell everything you want, give it to the rich and come and follow me. And the man walks away with his head held low. See, what happened is, is that he wanted to follow Jesus, but his money was more important than following Jesus. And so when the rubber met the road, when he had to choose between his wealth or to choose between Jesus, he chose his wealth. His devotion and his dependency were not on God. His devotion and dependency were on his finances. And so what happens is, is that, is that I don't think Jesus is saying that, you know, there's no, that, that being rich is a sin or being, you know, if you're a rich man, you can't go to heaven. What he's saying is, is that be cautious here because the rich man 
can be so dependent on his finances and he can solve all his problems on his own and think that it is all about him fixing his own problems that he doesn't go and depend on God to handle those situations for him. That he doesn't depend on God and so he believes that he's the one who solved the problem and it wasn't God that solved the problem. And listen, I'm telling you, man. I've done a lot of outreach stuff in the last 11 years of being, a, almost 11 years of being a youth pastor. And as I would go out and do these outreach things, I'd go into inner city neighborhoods and some of the poorest places in the country. Uh, we did a lot of inner city ministry in sh- Charlotte, some of the most dangerous neighborhoods in Charlotte. And I'd be going through those neighborhoods and I'd be sharing the love of Christ with people. We'd be hanging out with the little kids. We'd be hanging out with families in that neighborhood, sitting on their porches, talking with them, sharing the love of Christ. And we would see people coming to know Jesus like crazy. We would step in an affluent neighborhood and no one would even even come close to even thinking about responding to God. See, in their mind, they don't need God because they're doing just fine on their own without God. And so there's a dependency on God. And I think uh, Hebrews chapter th- 13, verse 5 says this. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Again, not from money, but from the love of money. And be content with what you have. Whether it's $1, $5, $10, $20, $50. Be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. He says, listen, you need to be content with what you have because I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he is saying to you, he is enough for you. You don't need him plus something else in order to be satisfied. You don't need him plus something else in order to have joy. You don't need him plus anything else. If you need Jesus plus something else, you are missing it completely. See, we need to find our contentment fully and completely in Christ alone. And I'm telling you, it is so freeing when you do. Man, I, I talk to college students and young adults all the time. And man, they're just tore up because they can't find a girl or they can't find a guy. And they're 25 and 26 years old and they're single. Man, I didn't get married until I was 28. Man, you, they're, you know, oh man, I'm still single. Like, is there ever going to be somebody there for me? Is, it my, is God ever going to bring somebody for me? I think the message that God would have to them is this. Be content in me. Find your fulfillment and satisfaction in me. And I'll tell you, when I got to that place in my life where I said, God, I am fully content in you. If I have to live the rest of my life single, knowing that I've got you, and that's all that I have, God, I'm 100% content in that. I met my wife the moment I got to that point. It's funny, I was telling Megan about it, and she starts laughing, and she says, same thing happened to me. I think that's the reason that Jesus says that when we try to find our life, we'll lose it, but if you lose your life for my sake, then you will find it. When you stop trying to find your life and doing things and striving and doing things on your own, when you just give it over to God and be content in Him and let Him work through you and let Him do His thing and let Him do His work because He is God, when you were content in Him, it's amazing how things just kind of fall in place. So our devotion to God and our dependency on God. Now, I do want to say this. What I'm not saying is, is that money is bad. I'm not saying that if you have a lot of money, that God loves you less. And I'm also not saying that if you don't have a lot of money, that God loves you more. Or that God has more favor for your life. I think that even in the church, there are some bad teachings on money. 
There's one side called the prosperity gospel. And these are the guys that will say, hey, man, if you follow Jesus and you pray, pray and you call in and give $10 for the anointing oil on our TV show, we're going to pray a blessing over you and you're going to be rich. You know, you know those people? That's the prosperity gospel people. Local. And then on the other side, you got the poverty gospel people. These are, these are like, you know, oh, I'm going to live like Jesus, so I'm going you know, to give everything that comes in away, and you know, I'm going to live homeless, and I'm going to be, be community living, and be a hippie, and uh, nothing wrong with hippies, but, I, well, several ones that smoke pot. Anyways, but, and so what they do, and, uh, and uh, probably not a good thing to talk about. And so, uh, and so yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and this whole community living whole idea. And, dude, I'm telling you, this is a big deal. There's a lot of Christians that are like, oh, yeah, like four or five of our friends, we get married. We're all just going to live together because we want to save money and give it all away so we can help all the people around the world and all this kind of stuff. And they, they think that that's a spiritual thing, but it's not necessarily a spiritual thing. And I think someone who really handles this well is Mark Driscoll. And here's a four-minute video clip of him explaining the poverty gospel and the prosperity gospel and laying it down. And it's really good. And I want you to check this out. And then we'll close out. Jesus couldn't be more clear. Serve God, not money. The way this breaks down is there are two polarizing teams within Christianity regarding wealth. We'll call them poverty theology and prosperity theology. Now, prosperity theology, we don't hold either. But prosperity theology goes to certain people in the Bible who love God and were rich. Well, Job, after his suffering, he became rich. Abraham was eventually blessed of God, became rich. King David, love God, was rich. Solomon, love God, was rich. See, the people who love God, they're rich. They're rich. So the more you love God, the richer he wants you to be. And so prosperity theology teaches that the more holy you are, the more wealth you'll accrue. This becomes very popular for people who are desperate because they're upside down financially, this has now been exported to the second and third world. It's false teaching. And they wrongly think, oh, if I become a Christian, I get rich like all the Americans. So we've exported this false teaching, and it's grievous. And prosperity theology is a theology of not loving God, but using God to get your real God, which is wealth. So I can manipulate the real God to give me the God that I care most about, the God of money. So God, I'll tithe, but I'll just claim this promise here that if I give you a little, you've got to give me a lot. And again, it may be that God wants us to be good stewards, not so that we can increase our standard of living, but so that we can increase our standard of giving. He just told us to seek to be shrewd stewards so that we could lovingly be generous toward and help more people. Prosperity theology is wrong. It's, it's a Ponzi scheme where we use God to get money, which means our ultimate goal is to worship money. So in reaction, and sometimes overreaction to that, there's poverty theology. Poverty theology goes to the Bible and says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Don't be greedy. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So see, money's bad. We shouldn't learn how to make money. We shouldn't learn how to spend money. If we get some money, we should just get rid of it as quick as we can because it's, it's dirty and we just, 
We don't know what to do with it. And it sounds pious and it sounds holy, but it comes out of an ancient Christian era called asceticism, which is the less you have, the closer to God you are. You're not closer to God if you have a lot of stuff. You're not closer to God if you have no stuff. You can't get any closer to God than the grace of Jesus. It's not about what you have. It's about who he is. So both fall into the same error, thinking that somehow their stuff mediates between them and God. More stuff brings God closer or less stuff brings God closer. No, Jesus is the one who brings God near. He is God. Poverty theology can sound very spiritual. I don't make money. I don't negotiate deals. I don't sign contracts. I don't like CPAs. I don't know what a limited liability corporation is. I don't know what a charitable remainder trust is. I don't, I don't figure out taxes and how to save money because I'm holy. Jesus told us holiness equals shrewd steward. Not poverty theology, not prosperity theology, shrewd stewardship. Shrewd stewardship. So some of you need to repent of poverty theology. Some of you need to repent of prosperity theology. And we've all got something to learn to become shrewd stewards. That's the big idea. So what does it mean to be a steward? What does stewardship mean? See, I think that's what God's called us to. God has called us to be a steward of what he's given us. Whether he's given us the dollar, where he's given us the $5, $10, $20, $50. He's called us to be a steward of that, to use that for his, for, for his glory, to use that for his sake. And so, the, so I looked at the definition of steward, and this is what stewardship is. A person who acts as a surrogate on behalf of another or others, especially by managing property, financial affairs, and estate, etc., so basically, this is a person who takes what has been given to them by an investor, by someone else, and they were to take that and they were to steward that in order to invest that, in order that that would grow, in order that that would have gain to it so that, that whatever was invested in would actually have a return on it. They would take care of and protect what has been given to them. This is the exact word that, that Jesus is calling us to be. He's calling us to be shrewd stewards. He is telling us, Derek, I have given you this amount of money. I've given you this amount of wealth I've given you this amount of possessions and now you need to use this for my glory you need to care for this and protect this and invest this and use this so that it will advance the gospel for so that people would come to know me more so that mission would be able to happen so that ministry would be able to happen that I'm going to use your resources and I'm going to use the resources of other people in your church and in your community I'm going to use your talents and I'm going to use the talents of other people who are in your church and in your community and all of that together is going to build up this amazing amazing thing that is going to reach a lot of people for my glory that's stewardship so what do I do with this well, I think there's a couple practical things I want to give you and we'll be done the first is this be a steward about what of be a steward of what God has given you and pray about your financial decisions and use your resources to honor God be a steward of what God has given you. Pray about your financial decisions and use your resources to honor God. I had a student in my last youth group. Uh, his mom left him when he was about five years old. He hadn't seen his mom since. He lives with his dad. His dad was unemployed. His financial situation was pretty rough. For Christmas, he got a shirt 
and $40 for Christmas. He took his $40 and he went and bought a gift for a friend at school who he knew did not have a Christmas. And he didn't tell anybody this. But the friend that he bought the gift for at his school who didn't have a Christmas, this is a high school kid, who didn't have a Christmas, told a guy who was in our youth group as well, and that guy told me. And dude, I'm going to tell you, man, I was, I was undone. That this kid who has nothing, and I don't know what your Christmas situation is, but that would have been the worst Christmas I would have ever had growing up. Maybe not yours, but for me, that's, that would have been my worst. And for him to take most of his Christmas and give that away so that someone else would have a Christmas, knowing that there were piles of people in his school that were getting all of the things that they were getting. I was blown away by that. I asked him, I said, dude, why did you do it? And this was his answer. Don't you think God would have wanted me to do it? He understood that He understood that God cared more about his heart than he cared about his money. And he would rather please God with the money that he had than he would use that money for something that he would forget. I knew he liked video games cuz he would always play at the youth group, but he could never afford a video game system. So that next week I bought him an Xbox 360 and five of the top games that were out. And then I told the story and I had him come up on the stage and I handed him the box and I said, hey, we got you a gift just for, and watched him open it up and watch just his face light up and tears start to come down. You know what I'm saying? And I just said, you know, to much is given, much is required. Man, you stepped up, you did something unbelievable and, and you deserve this. God honored it. And God's laid it on our heart and our leaders all pitched in and we bought this for him. It was a pretty cool deal. But be a steward of what God has given you and pray about how you would have God use it. The second thing is this. Get educated on how to spend, save, and give your money away. Get educated on it. Read books from like Dave Ramsey. I mean, if you're a senior about to go to college, you need to start learning some financial steps. You need to, you know, take a crown financial study. Seek out some financial advice. You know, people say all the time, well, why are you talking about money to teenagers? You know, they don't have a job yet. They're not paying a mortgage. They don't have a car payment. They don't have a, you know, they're not paying these bills, an electric bill and a power bill. They're not buying groceries for the house every month. They're not spending this. They're not spending that. They're not doing all this kind of stuff. Why are you talking about this? The reason I talk about this to you guys now is because if you don't get it now, you will be a financial disaster in your future. Don't learn the hard way. Which leads me to my third point. My third point is this. Don't spend more than you make. Don't spend more than you make. I know so many people that get in so much trouble with credit cards college students go off to college and was ever talked to them about credit cards and then they go and they register and they, for something at somewhere at their school and they get a credit card and next thing you know they're out and they're like oh man that's a cute pair of shoes which I've never said in my life uh, <laughs> just for the record I'm playing as if I was the girl that's a cute pair of shoes um, you know and you swipe the card and then you're like oh man oh yeah we're going out and fr- you know eat with my friends we swipe the card and you go and you do this you swipe the card and next thing you know you've ran up several thousand dollars on this credit card you're not really paying attention to it. You miss, your, you miss your, you know, your payment on it for that month. And all of a sudden, now they apply this 30% interest rate to your card. 
So now instead of having $2,000 on your car, if you keep paying the, paying the minimum interest payment on this, on this deal, you're going to end up paying $2,600 on this car. They're going to charge you $600 more just in interest in order for you to do it. I know people who've literally graduated from college with more than $50,000 in credit card debt. Listen, you are not going to get a job out of college that is going to pay you enough money to pay that off anytime soon if you have a high interest rate on it. Be smart with your money. Be smart financially. Did you know that 75% of Americans, 75% if, they're, if they lost their job tomorrow, if they lost their job tomorrow, they would be completely out of money within one month. We've got a spending problem. Don't spend more than you make. Save, invest. Think about the future. Give your money away. Figure out how you can serve other people with the finances that God has given you. It is not about, and the last thing I'm going to say, it is not about keeping up with all the people around you. It's not keeping up with your neighbors. It is not keeping up with your friends and what they buy and what they have. Listen, I don't care what anybody else has. I drive a 1997 Toyota 4Runner that has 270,000 miles on it right now. That thing, yes. It has a spare tire on the front left. It has a flat tire on the back right that I have to fill up every three or four days because I don't want to go buy another stinking tire for it because it's got a dang hole in it. You know what I'm saying? And I don't care. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I don't have any debt except for my house. I don't have a car debt. I don't have a credit card payment. I don't, have a, I don't have a school bill debt. I don't have any debt. And I'm not saying that to toot my horn because I don't make that much money. I'm a pastor. But I try to live within my means. I try to save. I try to invest. And I give to the church. Listen, if you're part of the body of Christ, if you're a Christian, the Bible calls you to give in order for the mission to go forward. I trust the senior pastor, the executive pastor, the, the CFO of this church who oversees the finances of this church. He is brilliant. He is one of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my entire life. He used to be the CFO of Duke Power, which is a massive uh, Fortune 500 company. I mean, this dude is legit. He oversees our finance sector. I mean, the guy knows what the heck he's thinking, talking about. I know that I can trust my money when I give it to the church that it's going to be used for the maximum impact in order to advance the gospel. Because if you were just to give me money and say, hey, who should I give this to? I don't have a clue who to give that to and know how it's going to make the most impact. So I tie it to the church and I give to the church because that's what God has called us to do. It isn't some Ponzi scheme so that the church can get rich off of your finances and all that kind of stuff. Listen, nobody's getting rich off of you paying, giving money to the church. I promise you, nobody's getting rich. Look at my car. It is to advance the gospel. It is to plant more campuses. It is to get more resources so that we can have things like this, so that we can reach more students, so that we can reach more children, so that we can reach more adults for the name of Jesus because it is all about the name of Jesus. And how you handle money matters to God. So I'm going to close this out with prayer tonight. I think the band's going to come up and close this out here. And I want to challenge you to honor God with your finances. Honor God with your finances. 
I'm going to ask you to pray and seek the Lord on, on, on how you would spend on major spending decisions in your life. Because if God owns it all, every spending decision is a spiritual decision. And what I'm going to ask you to do is, I'm going to ask you, man, if you work and you get a paycheck, be a good steward of your money. Take 10% of that and tithe it. Give it back to God. Give it back to the church so the, the gospel can be moved forward. Use your money to advance his kingdom. So tonight, God, I just want to lift up these students to you. I thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity to be here tonight in this place. We thank you for your presence. God, as I look around, I see this place just packed out, Lord. It fires me up every week just to know what you're doing in this place. And God, I just pray that you would continue just to work and continue to move. And God, you know how excited I am about the message next week and the service next week, Lord. I know that next week is going to be one of, the most, one of the most memorable weeks in the point history. And so, God, I pray that tonight you will, you will just challenge students as they leave from here to bring people next week to be a part of what's happening here next week. And God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.